Guess what returns for 2020? That's right, my voice is back! And also this podcast. Yes, the first episode of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast in 2020 features the return of the One Minute Dash. Plus a recap of the 49th Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association's Holiday Tournament. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to sports happening in the Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio region. Visit theleewmowen.com slash podcasts to listen on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. Follow the host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mowen and the podcast at Cindy Pod. Opening theme is Arpy by Dan Hennig from the YouTube Music Library Collection. Now for your host, Lee W. Mowen. So file this under stuff I thought I'd never talk about on the podcast. Apparently from my broadcast on Sunday with the Finley Trojans visiting the Springboro Panthers, one of the goals scored by the Trojans is part of SportsCenter's Top 10 Plays for January 6, 2020. It is the third play of the video, and it's Harry Hall, senior captain for the Trojans, scoring what is called a Michigan goal. And because I didn't realize what that was, a Michigan goal is where you're behind the goal line with the net in front of you, and you score from, you know, behind the net, which was very impressive, and I'm still kind of flabbergasted about that goal. It was it was a really sweet goal. So congrats to Harry Hall and the Finley Trojans, part of SportsCenter's Top 10. That was really cool. It's really weird to hear my voice on ESPN, but hey, I can say I made it for, you know, a second or two. But no, that play is really cool, and I suggest you... Look at it. I have shared it on my social media accounts. And I think you'll have yourself a good old hockey time. Also, a little bit of news. This podcast did not make the best local podcast vote in Dayton.com again. Whatever. I know this podcast talks about Cincinnati and Dayton sports. And I'm happy the way it's going. Thank you for those that did nominate this podcast. I do appreciate it. Before we start the one-minute dashes, we're going to have a bunch of topics to cover on the one-minute dashes. And by a bunch, I mean the first one's going to take about 12 minutes, because we're going to talk about college basketball, we're going to talk about hockey, we're going to talk about the Bengals' win against Cleveland. I know, the Bengals actually won. I'm shocked on that, too. And also a little bit about the draft thoughts. We got a bunch of stuff to cover on the one-minute dashes. In fact, I think it's going to be trying to catch up everything that I wanted to talk about the last two weeks and just didn't get to. And also, after the one-minute dashes, we'll talk about the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association's holiday tournament from two weekends ago. But first, it's time to open up the mailbag for the first time, 2020. That means... It's time for Mowen's Mailbag, the segment where you can ask questions and interact with the podcast. Send in your future questions on Twitter at Pod or the Lee W. Mowen, on the Facebook page, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, 
or through the Flick Chat app by searching the local Sunday Sports Group. Theme music is from Music Radio Creative at musicradiocreative.com. So the first question I get for Malin's mailbag to open up the new decade is from Sean Jackman, who is part of the Dayton Hockey family. That's Dayton, Ohio, not UD necessarily. And he asks, will Dayton ever have professional hockey again? And this is a very popular question I get in the mailbag from the local folks, which is all right. I don't mind answering it. I say yes, but the following things need to occur. Occurrence letter A. We need a new rink. And it depends on what level you want to bring into Dayton, Ohio. I think the ECHL by nowadays wants what? Over 7,000 seats? Hair Arena was small back in the 90s when the Dayton Bombers became a thing. And I think the requirement has gone up as the years have gone by. So, really depends how many seats you build, what level you want. ECHL would be great. And I'd love to see a Cincinnati-Dayton rivalry once again, as long as I'm broadcasting it. But... Will ECHL come knocking the Dayton's doors again? I don't know. The SPHL, which is single A, that's the Southern Professional Hockey League, they have made their way up the Midwest, and I like the SPHL. I mean, it seems like a lot of those players get a chance to go to double A, which is ECHL, and few will get up to the AHL, which is the American Hockey League, the top level of minor league hockey in North America. I I think that'd be nice because Peoria, Quad Cities is there. I think that'd be pretty nice. And you also get the excuse to go down south more because that's where most of the squads are. You know, you got Pensacola and the Ice Flyers down there. And you got Knoxville. You got a couple good locations in the SPHL. So I think, you know, it is possible. But again, you need a new rink and you need a good place to build it. I still think that empty lot by Austin Landing is a perfect place because it's kind of like the gateway into Dayton from the south. And I think that, you know, highway visibility is like, ooh, what's that? It's, like, it's an arena. I like Robert's lot too, but I don't know how big that would be for parking and the arena. But you got to find a good place. You got to have a good arena. And occurrence... Letter B, you have to market this. I mean, you have to pound on doors and say, hey, we have hockey, come support, get season tickets, drive, because there are great hockey fans still in this area. I don't ever want to hear someone saying, Dayton's not a hockey town, or Dayton's not a sports town, it's only Ohio State. Well, this podcast proves you wrong if you listen to it, but there you go. So, yeah, I think it can happen. The scope of it happening? Mm. Well, when someone decides to put money down to build the arena, I'd say you got a couple years ahead of you. So yes, I think it's possible, and I think Dayton will see pro hockey again, but it will take a while depending on the whole situation of building an arena. So, that's Malin's Mailbag. Feel free to ask questions anytime. If you're my Facebook friend, you can message me on Twitter, the Lee W. Mallon or Sunday Pod. I see both. So go ahead and ask more questions, because I do love Mallon's mailbag. I just wish I'd get more questions for it. 
So thank you, Sean, for being the only one to send me a question this week. Uh, It doesn't matter when you send the questions, just send questions. And I believe that's a nice transition from Alan's Mailbag to the One Minute Dash. If you remember two episodes ago, I did this segment where I talk lots and lots of local sports with each topic taking a minute. Where, in fact, actually it took a minute plus because I always finished my sentence up, so, you know. Almost a minute dash. <laughs> that's that's going to be on my tombstone when I pass away. Almost a minute dash, you know. How long did it take you to do that dash? Oh, four minutes. But, you know. Like I mentioned, we got a lot to cover. There's a lot of topics that I want to tackle for this week. And I think I measured it total of about 26 to 27 minutes. Maybe less if the cat will stop eating uh, my topic paper. You can cut that out anytime you want, kitty. Maybe the cat should be co-host. Maybe I'll get more listeners that way. We're going to start off with college basketball. We're talking men's and women's, and let me tell you, it's an exciting time to be a college basketball fan. I mean, look at the Dayton Flyers, how well they've done. The Wright State Raiders, undefeated on the road. They're having a great season, too. I mean, we're spoiled in Dayton. We have two great D1 programs in the Gem City by itself. I mean, Cincinnati... Looking a little wobbly after their road loss. John Brennan still looking for his first true road win with UC. But I think he'll anchor the ship down. I mean, it's his first year. You know, give him a little bit of a break. Xavier's doing quite well. Miami's not doing too bad. I did listen to a Red Hawks basketball game when they took on Wilberforce. And boy, oh boy, was that some type of game or what? Mm. Also, Northern Kentucky, not doing too bad, although they are dealing with a major injury, so that's kind of hampering the Norse at the moment. But I tell you, 61 squads in the area. I know this isn't quite the one-minute dash. I'm starting to cover it, but hey, we got ourselves a lot of college hoops to talk about, and that'll be about 12 minutes for all six D1 squads. Next week, we'll try to cover all the squads. We also have hockey to talk about. The Bengals beating the Browns. I know, the Bengals won again. Outstanding. And I'll give you my thoughts on the NFL draft coming up. We got bowl games for Cincinnati and Miami. Miami just played theirs last night. Tough loss for the Red Hawks. Some baseball to help warm you up. A new facility opening in West Carrollton. A rumor going around. And girls wrestling. Before we dive into the holiday tournament at Vandalia Butler by the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association. That's not part of the one-minute dash. That's the second part of this episode. So let's begin right now with the one-minute dash. And I don't believe I have a theme for it yet, but maybe I'll make one one of these days. Let's start with the Wright State Raiders first, currently with a net ranking of 110 and a Ken Palm ranking of 103. The Raiders are 14-3 and overall. They have won all four of their Horizon League games and on a seven-game tear. 5-0 and away from the Nutter Center, 7-2 and at home and 2-1 and on neutral courts. They're coming off a last-second win at Detroit Mercy as Jalen Hall nails a three-pointer. Raiders also coming off a 96-69 win against the Oakland Golden Grizzlies in Michigan. 4-0 start to the Horizon League as IUPUI and UIC will host the Raiders this Friday and Sunday. 
with UIC's game being on ESPN Plus and IUPUI on ESPN3. I tell you this, Wright State team, they have the makings of a team that can just run through the Horizon League. It might be a down year in the HL, but this Wright State team is impressive. They're back home January 16th, that's a Thursday, against the Cleveland State Vikings at 7 now the Raiders women's basketball team currently 3-1 and one in the Horizon League and 8-7 and seven overall. Winners of three in a row are the Raiders as they take the home series against the Ohio Horizon League squads in Cleveland State 78-62 and Youngstown State 91-41. The Raiders also picked up a very big win at Green Bay 70-58. Green Bay of course being the Pinnacle team to beat if you want to win that Horizon League crown, and the Raiders have done so. Nice fourth quarter up there. However, the Raiders did suffer a 60-58 loss at Milwaukee. Wisconsin's always a tough trip no matter what sport you play. Raiders looking good so far. They're now taking the Chicago-Indianapolis trip. They're at UIC. The Raiders are on Thursday and IUPUI Saturday. Another road game for Wright State's women's squad January 17th. That's a Friday at Northern Kentucky before coming back home to host Detroit Mercy in Oakland the 23rd and 25th. And now time to talk about the Dayton Flyers, ranked number 15 in the Associated Press poll. This Dayton Flyers squad is good. Just two losses, both on neutral courts for Dayton. They have currently four games on a winning streak, and they broke two big droughts. They won at LaSalle for the first time in nine years, 84-58, and the first time in 20 years at St. Joseph's, 80-67. In fact, Wayne Cohill, one of the Flyers, was 10 days old the last time Dayton won at St. Joseph's back in 2000. And wow, that makes me feel super old. Thanks for that. Dayton currently 2-0 in the A-10, while looking towards hosting UMass this Saturday and VCU on Tuesday. Two very big games, VCU being the bigger of the two, I'd say. But two home games coming up, and then at St. Louis, Friday the 17th. I know that UD will be fully packed for UMass and VCU. Now we talk women's basketball at UD. The Flyers are 8-7 and seven and just 1-0 in A-10 play. But that was a smashing win for the Dayton Flyers. They take a 98-58 win at LaSalle. UD doing quite well in Philadelphia so far this season. Flyers back home tomorrow, January 8th. They'll host George Mason before taking on the road once again to Richmond. And then back home next Wednesday to take on Duquesne. This women's squad 8-7 and seven overall. And winners of three in a row. To close out the... 2010s, they smashed Coppin State 78-48, a game that the Flyers took quite well, and in fact, never really put the foot off the metal on that one. But yes, good start to the A-10 play, and I think this UD squad will have a special season. George Mason coming in tomorrow at 7, and that'll be on ESPN Plus if you want to catch it. Now we talk about Miami men's basketball. The Red Hawks 7-7 under Jack Owens. And they're coming off a tough conference loss. 0-1 are the Red Hawks in the MAC so far. 93-82 at Central Michigan. And that's coming off a 119-52 win against Wilberforce at home. Next up for the Red Hawks tonight, the 7th of January. They're at Bowling Green before coming back home to take on the Buffalo Bulls on CBS Sports Network in Oxford. That's Friday the 10th. 
home against Buffalo, and away at Bowling Green tonight. I think the Red Hawks will rebound quite nicely from their 93-82 loss and take it to the Falcons, but it is a tough place to play at BGSU. Then the Red Hawks home against Buffalo, then home against Kent State next week, the 14th, and then traveling to Muncie to take on the Cardinals. Again, 7-7 seven and seven are the Red Hawks, 0-1 in conference play, 5-2 and two at home sweet Millette. And speaking of home sweet Millette, the women's basketball Red Hawks currently 3-1 and one at home and 7-6 and six overall. They dropped a home decision to open up MAC play against the Buffalo Bulls 86-72 on Swoop's Kids Club Day. Swoop, of course, being the Red Hawk mascot. The Red Hawks are back home tomorrow, the 8th, that's a Wednesday, against Northern Illinois before heading to Michigan to take on Central Michigan on the 11th, that's a Saturday, and the 15th, that's a Wednesday at Eastern Michigan, before returning home to take on Kent State the 18th at 2. And you can watch the Miami-Northern Illinois game on ESPN Plus or listen to it as well. I think this women's basketball Red Hawk squad could be good again. They're currently 0-1 in conference play, 7-6 overall, but... Something I forgot about, Megan Duffy took a head coaching job with Marquette. So, new coaching staff, new head coach. Fish up that thought. I thought Megan Duffy did a wonderful job in Oxford. And that's a very, very well-deserved roll-up to Marquette. Deanna Hendricks is your head coach of the Miami Redhawks, and I think she's doing a nice job in her first year. Kokomo, Indiana native, too. And now back to the one-minute dashes. We move on downwards to Cincinnati. The Bearcats men's basketball team, 8-6, 1-1 and one and one in the American thus far. Like I mentioned, they fell on the road to Tulane. A back-and-forth battle, 76-71, Greenway win it. The Bearcats back home this Wednesday the 8th to take on... Tulsa, that's on ESPNU or 700WOW with Dan Horde. Tough year for the Bearcats. 0-3 away from Fifth Third Arena. 2-2 on neutral court. 6-1 at home, however. And John Brennan, his first year as head coach since taking the job from Northern Kentucky University. I think this Bearcats team, they can bounce back, but they're going to need some road wins. Memphis, not too far away. A road game. That'll be 16th Thursday next week. And the Bearcats also traveling to UCF this upcoming Saturday. And I love listening to the games. Dan Horde, I think, does an excellent job play-by-play. With the Bengals and the Bearcats, which we'll talk about Bengals in a little bit. And plus, before we move on to the women's basketball team, just want to pass the news on Chuck Machok's passing for the University of Cincinnati Hall of Fame member with UC and I believe also the color commentator with Dan Horde previous few years sorry for your loss Bearcats and that is an important piece in UC history from 1937 to 2020 Chuck Machok roamed the earth passed away Saturday at the age of 82 was a player at UC from 1956-1957, and a student coach from 1958-1959, also alongside Oscar Robertson, you know, the big O, and one of the best basketball players at the time. Also an assistant coach from 1990-1993 under Bob Huggins, and then became an analyst for 700 for 
25 seasons from 1993 to 2017. So, again, sorry for your loss to the UC family. Chuck Machock, Hall of Famer, former broadcaster for Cincinnati Bearcats basketball. Now onwards to women's basketball at UC. The Bearcats 9-5 overall, but 0-1 in AAC play. The Bearcats coming off a 76-68 loss at USF, that's South Florida. They're still on the road for conference play tomorrow at Memphis. And then coming back home Sunday, January 12th at 2 to take on UCF, University of Central Florida. That's on ESPN2 or Bearcats TV. And there's also a way to listen to it as well at Fifth Third Arena. Like I mentioned, 9-5, and five, a good start for the Bearcats. 9-4 and four outside conference play and 7-2 and two at Fifth Third Arena. This could be a very special Bearcats basketball team again. Of course, the top team is UConn. They're number one in the nation. And the first game of that series will be January 30th at Stores, Connecticut. And then UConn comes in Cincinnati February 26th. That's a Wednesday. And that'll be on SNY ESPN3. <laughs> And it's also a wear red day at Fifth Third Arena, that contest. But like I mentioned, UConn tops in women's basketball. They're a pretty strong team again, as they have been for quite some time. Across town we go to Xavier. That's where the Musketeers live. And the men's basketball team currently 30th in the AP poll, receiving votes. Musketeers coming off a 75-67 win at home against St. John's. And will host Seton Hall this Wednesday to continue Big East play. In fact, that is three straight home games on tap for the Musketeers. With Creighton also flying in Saturday the 11th at 2. And FS1 has Seton Hall. FS1 and Fox has Creighton and Xavier both from the Centos Center. This Musketeers team, like I mentioned, 30th in the AP poll, 12-3 and overall, 1-1 one and one in Big East play. The one Big East loss was at Villanova by 6. I think this Musketeers team could do quite well in the big dance. I mean, Big East, think fairly open. Villanova lost to Marquette the other night. I think if Xavier handles business, they could be towards the top of the Big East Summit once again with UConn. <laughs> Coming in next year. Next up, women's basketball at Xavier. After the Musketeers won their season opener against Utah 70-63, Xavier's dropped 13 in a row. 1-13 overall and 0-3 in Big East play for first-year head coach Melanie Moore. Coming off the associate head coach job with the Michigan Wolverines. The Musketeers dropped their three conference games at the Cintas Center to St. John 75-67. Seton Hall 83-61, and Butler 78-70. Xavier now tangles with Georgetown in our nation's capital this Friday and Sunday at Villanova, which is listed Villanova, Pennsylvania. I thought it was just Philadelphia, but there you go. The Musketeers will return home Friday the 17th against DePaul and Sunday the 19th against Marquette for the Ovarian Cancer Alliance of Greater Cincinnati game. Like I mentioned, first-year head coach Melanie Moore, Glendorf, Ohio native, I think she'll do well. This is her first year, and I think once the recruits start coming in, I think the future will be bright for the X. And finally, our last D1 school in the area, Northern Kentucky. The Norse men's basketball team, 10-6 and 2-2 and two and two in Horizon League play. They are coming off a strong competition at Oakland, 75-64 to split the Michigan trip. They fell to Detroit Mercy, 66-58 on the road. And fell at home to Green Bay 
The Norse beat Milwaukee to start Horizon League play, 74-64. They're dealing with an injury to one of their top players in Walton. But I think once again back, the Norse will get back into tip-top shape. What's next for the Norse? Well, they're travel partners with Wright State, so when Wright State's in Indianapolis to take on IUPUI, the Norse will be in Chicago to take on UIC Friday the 10th. And then Sunday the 12th, Norse at IUPUI, and then back home to take on Youngstown State, then Cleveland State the 16th and the 18th of the month. First Wright state Norfolk, Kentucky battle is on ESPNU, and it's at the Nutter Center January 24th, Friday at 9. Around here, you can listen to it on 106.5 FM or 15.30 AM in Cincinnati. And finally, we close out with women's basketball at NKU. The Norse are 8-7 and seven and 2-2 two and two in Horizon League play, just like the men counterparts. The women fell at home to Cleveland State 73-68, but beat Youngstown State 75-56. On the road, they fell at Green Bay 65-44, but won at Milwaukee 61-49 for their two Horizon League wins at Milwaukee and home against YSU. What's next for the Norse women? Well, they have the Indy Chicago trip at IUPUI Thursday the 9th and Saturday the 11th at UIC. That UIC match will be on ESPN3 before the first bout of two for women's basketball. Norfolk, Kentucky will host Wright State for Ladies' Night. Friday the 17th at BB&T Arena. And then they'll continue the homestand to close out February. Four straight against Oakland, Detroit Mercy, Milwaukee, and Green Bay to open up February. And that's also Box Out Cancer Game. And that's it. That's all six D1 schools, both men's and women's basketball teams covered on the one-minute dash. And don't you go anywhere. We still have things to cover. We're taking a quick breather and a drink of water. On episode 130 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, we resume with a one-minute dash after the break. Hey listeners, did you know that you can buy gear supporting the local Sunday Sports Podcast? Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast, then click on Buy Podcast Merchandise, made by T Public. You can get shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and even stickers. Check out the local Sunday Sports gear by T Public. Welcome back to episode 130, and let me tell you, sometimes the best golden nuggets just come across your phone when you're not even planning for them. This is from the Columbus Dispatch, which is from the Cincinnati Inquirer from Jackie Borchardt. Bengals or brown season got you down? Medical marijuana proposed as a treatment. Really? Really? (laughs) Long-suffering Bengals and Browns fans know the pain of defeat, yeah? You know, we kind of get it over and over again. At least one person thinks they should be able to treat that misery with medical marijuana or just get off the bandwagon, you know. A petition to make Bengals, Browns fans an official medical marijuana condition was submitted last month to the State Medical Board of Ohio. Don't get your hopes up. It probably won't go anywhere. Yeah, but still, come on. (laughs) You're going to try to make that a cause? I mean... For people that need medical marijuana, that's great. That's not a need. That's just you chose poorly on your sports teams. I'm a Bengals fan. We went 2-14. and 14. I'm dealing with it. <laughs> Treat him with medical marijuana. What flying flick. But seriously, though, I mean, that's 
Yeah. I saw that from the Columbus Dispatch, and then I saw that little lines like, hey, this is from the Cincinnati Enquirer. And of course, the big news with the dispatches, they're now moving their printing edition over to Indianapolis. I don't know if the Enquirer does that. I thought they did. Dayton Daily News does that. The uh, printing building in Franklin is still abandoned. You can see it off the side of the road. It's a sad sight, really. But yeah, medical marijuana to treat the cause of being a Bengals or Browns fan. And you think you hear everything, but no, another gold nugget drops in. It's just something that you see, and it pops up, and it's like, wow, this has to go on the podcast. Also, Sports Center Top 10 for January 6th. I'm, I'm still over the moon on that. They actually kept some of my audio in there. Granted, it's not my best part of the call, you know, because I'm kind of watching that goal. It's like, did that really go in? Did I really see that right? But there you go. Part two of episode 130, and we're back on the one-minute dash. We'll start off with some old news first, as Cincinnati has themselves a new athletic director. As the previous one, Mike Bond, went to Southern California and the sunny coast of Los Angeles. Enter John Cunningham, previously the Deputy Athletics Director for Minnesota. He was in attendance for Cincinnati's upset win against the Tennessee Volunteers. And the quote that really makes me think he'll do a great job with UC, Every fourth grader in Cincinnati should have a Bearcats t-shirt. We need more Bearcats t-shirts and fewer Buckeyes t-shirts. Heck yes, I'm on that boat. Let's get more Bearcats, Musketeers t-shirts in there, Norse t-shirts. Let's get more Wright State t-shirts, Dayton t-shirts. I'm kind of jumping off the boat on that. But anyway, 19 varsity sports for UC, an athletic budget of $64 million, and over 500 athletes calling Cincinnati home. Welcome, John Cunningham. I think you'll do quite well with the red and black. Now, this has been a month or so ago. I know, I don't think I covered it on previous podcast episodes. I hope I didn't, but yeah, new AD, and I think John Cunningham will fit in quite well with UC. Now, of course, the whole Bearcats t-shirt thing, he's talking Bearcats, more UC, less Ohio State. I added, you know, more of the local colleges because, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that thinking. Sticking with UC, the Bearcats won their bowl game against Boston College. Number 21, Cincinnati, defeats the Eagles 38-6 and a game that wasn't really that close. If you look at the total yards, the Bearcats outgained Boston College 459-164. to And most of that on the ground. 343 yards on the ground for Cincinnati to 116 through the air, whereas Boston College 77 on the ground, 87 through the air. 33 first downs for Cincinnati to Boston College's 8. I just, and the time of possession, nearly 42 minutes for the Bearcats compared to 18 and a half for Boston College. That is a great win for the Bearcats as they finish the year 11 and 3 and 7 to 1 in American play. The one score by Boston College was a blocked field goal returned for a touchdown. The two point conversion failed. For Boston College. Ritter ran for 105 yards and three scores and threw a scoring pass to lead Cincinnati to a 38-6 win over Boston College in the lightning-delayed Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, the Bearcats kicked butt in that bowl, and it's nice to see. I think Luke Fickle is building himself quite the program over at Cincinnati, and I think 
if you want to get on board with Bearcats football, this is the perfect time to do it, because their future is up, up, up. And I think Luke Fickle is doing a great job at UC. Now for Miami's bowl game. They fell short in the Lending Tree Bowl, 27-17, to the raging Cajuns of Louisiana. The Redhawks did strike first in the second quarter. It was Jalen Bester scoring a five-yard run. But then Louisiana was scored 17 unanswered and 24 of uh, 27 points in a row before Miami got one last touchdown. Jalen Bester again, two rushing touchdowns. Stats are very close in this game. Louisiana outganged Miami 401 to 351. Pass yards, two yards better were the Red Hawks, 248, 246. Rushing yards, Louisiana 155 to Miami's 103. Very close games. The Red Hawks had more time with the ball, 3143 to 2817 for the Raging Cajun, and four more first downs. Very close game. Red Hawks finished 8 and 6 on the year. Chuck Martin had himself a nice Red Hawks season. Although that Ball State game, I'm still going back. It's like, what happened there? Yes, it was a tough loss, but I think Miami definitely proved they belonged in a bowl game. So, a tough loss for the Hawks, but Louisiana 11-3, and I think they had themselves a very good year. And they played a very good team, very closely. Again, like I mentioned, Gabbert, he didn't have any touchdowns or interceptions, but did break a Red Hawks record with 22 completed passes for 248 yards. And now we talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and a loss tougher than all the 14 suffered this season. Sam Weich passed away, the head coach that was responsible for taking the Bengals to the last Super Bowl game of the late 80s. He would have turned 75 on Sunday, passed away on Thursday. Responsible for one of my favorite sound bites. You don't live in Cleveland, you live in Cincinnati. Although, he would later host an event, a charity event, and the Browns fans got to dunk him, and he was a good sport about it. He's known for the no-huddle offense, once outlawed for about two hours before that victorious 1988 AFC title game against the Buffalo Bills. It's now required for this century of football. And that season, it was tough to catch the Bengals. Versatile players, plays, Boomer Esiason orchestrating the top-ranked offense in Cincinnati. Those were the golden days of Bengals football. 12-4, and four, and just 34 seconds away from winning the Super Bowl. But Joe Montana and San Francisco and the 49ers were on the other side to take it away in Super Bowl 23. Man, it's, that's a tough loss. When you see someone so instrumental in the history of the Bengals pass away. That's it's really sad. That and Forrest Gregg, the two coaches responsible for taking the Bengals to a Super Bowl. But think about Sam Weich and the no huddle offense. That's that's standard nowadays. Back then, no. Rest in peace, Sam Weich and to the Weich family. In fact, it was his son, Zach Weich, that broke the news that Sam passed away. And of course, Zach Weich is an assistant coach with the St. Xavier Bombers in Cincinnati, Ohio, U.S. of A. And a little bit of better news for the Bengals. They finished off the year with a win over the Cleveland Browns, 33-23. As Cincinnati finishes 2-14, Cleveland 6-10. and Your total stats, the Bengals, more yards than the Browns, 361-313. to not a lot of penalties in the game. Four on Cleveland, three on Cincy. And time possession favored the Bengals by 
close to 9 minutes, 34-41 to 25-19. Baker Mayfield on the day, 279 yards for the Browns, 12 of 27, three touchdowns, three interceptions. A little lighter in the stats for Andy Dalton, one touchdown, one pick, 190 yards, 16 of 28. Joe Mixon rushes in two touchdowns for 162 yards on 26 carries, and Andy Dalton with a quarterback touchdown on eight carries, 10 yards. Nate Chubb on the other side, no touchdowns, but 41 yards, 13 carries. Baker Mayfeld, 29 yards through four quarterback keeps. And that was a minute already. Wow. That's probably why I don't put NFL scores, because it takes me longer than a minute. Receiving-wise, Boyd, 59 yards, five catches. John Ross, two catches, 42 yards. A touchdown catch, 25 yards, five total catches for Uzama. And on the other side, Landry, a touchdown for Cleveland, 82 yards, 81 yards, touchdown for Odo Beckham Jr. And Ratley, a touchdown on 64 yards, two catches. Hunt, three catches, 32 yards, a catch for Hodge, and a catch for Trubb for one yard. Yeah, I got through that just getting through the stats. But yeah, huge win. Whenever you can beat the Browns in the Battle of Ohio, that is huge, considering the fact that last year the Bengals did not do so. That's the first time in a while that's happened. But 2-14, and and no, I don't think it saved Andy Dalton's job, so don't bother asking. But yeah, I was afraid that with the Bengals' sharp start against Cleveland at home, I thought, well, it's going to happen just like in Cleveland, where the Browns decide, hey, we're going to run it against the Bengals, because, you know, they had the worst run defense in the league. And really, it didn't turn out like that. In terms of rushing, like I mentioned, Chubb, 41 yards, Mayfield, 29, Hunt, 4 yards. Uh, Why deviate away from that if it worked the first time? That's probably why Freddie Kitchens is no longer in Cleveland. In fact, they're still looking for a head coach as of now. There's been a few head coaching hires. You might know Mike McCarthy hired to Dallas, previously of Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Matt Rule gets the job with Carolina for seven years, 70 mil. That's 10 mil a year. That's huge. And what was it, Joe Judge? The wide receivers coach of New England, now with the Giants. Which, uh, I don't know about that hire. I mean, you look at the Bilicek tree, historically, who's been the most successful out there? And, yes, I'll probably get Mike Vrabel. Verbal? Verbal? I actually don't know how to say that name. But, yeah, the Tennessee Titans coach. Because, you know, they beat New England in the playoffs in New England. So, that's pretty big. But the Bengals finishing 2-14, and 14, and this has definitely turned way past the one-minute dash. But strong end to what is a very forgettable season. By forgettable, I mean you don't forget about the 14 losses. It's just one season you're not going back to talk about. Although the Bengals did give some Player of the Year awards, and we'll cover those now on this next one-minute dash. So your awards, the Ken Anderson MVP award goes to running back Joe Mixon. First time in 10 years, you could have had co-MVPs, but Mixon really picked it up at the end of the season. Your Isaac Curtis Offensive Player of the Year is Tyler Boyd, and rightfully so, because Boyd had to pick up a lot of slack with the absence of A.J. Green, one of the best wideouts in the game, I'd say. But 
Last year, 1,028 yards. This year, 1,046. Very impressive since being upgraded to WR1. Sam Hubbard is your Ken Riley Defensive Player of the Year. For Cincinnati, Lamar Parrish Special Teams Player of the Year goes to safety Brandon Wilson. Best season a special teamer ever had, according to this press release on Bengals.com. Jermaine Pratt, middle linebacker, A.J. Green, Rookie of the Year. T.J. Husmanzada, Most Improved Player of the Year, goes to Auden Tate of the Bengals. And your Comeback Player of the Year is punter Kevin Huber. How did I get through all that? in one minute. Actually, there is one more. The Sam White Assistant Coach of the Year goes to Special Teams Coordinator Darren Simmons. 17th season running the Cincinnati Specialists. Bengals still ranked number one Special Teams by FootballOutsiders.com. And if you think about it, yeah, Special Teams really saw in Cincinnati. I mean, injuries on both sides of the ball, that certainly doesn't help. But, yeah, Simmons is a big part of that. Got a big year out of Stanley Morgan, who was an undrafted rookie out of Nebraska. And Randy Bullock has been quite strong with the Bengals. In fact, there's a stat down here. Kicker in the last 50 games, 69 of 80 as a Bengal. That's pretty good. And 78 of 96 outside Cincinnati. So, yeah, those are pretty good awards. You might say, well, they're 2 and 14. They don't deserve awards. Well, the thing is, they still went out there, and they still played. And most of those losses were close. Let's not forget that. Is it a good season? Heck no. Not by any stretch. Although, beating Cleveland at the end of the year, that is pretty sweet. But, if you think about it, I mean, if you attack the draft, you attack the free agent market strong, and get good counterparts in, I think Cincinnati will have a better season next year. And speaking of the draft, everyone wants Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. I wouldn't mind Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, but remember, the first pick of the draft is not a Super Bowl team make. I think Burrow will do a great job in Cincinnati, but you got to protect him. you got to protect Joe Burrow. Remember, past few years, first-round picks, like last year's Jonah Williams, got bit with the injury bug before the season even began. So that worries me a little bit. But at the same time, if you build that offensive line, I'd like to see what Jonah Williams can do. I think Cincinnati might have themselves some pretty good blueprints. You just need more parts up ahead. And I do like how Cincinnati finished the season. Although, yes, there was just the one win against Cleveland. I think this draft <laughs> is super important. And if you do decide to go Joe Burrow, which I'm fine with, just make sure he's protected, please. And make sure that when he gets to Cincinnati, wrap him up in bubble wrap or something. Keep him safe, please. I don't want to see what could be a star quarterback go down like that, and then his career is derailed afterwards. So that's my thought on the draft. Bengals do get to pick first. They got the number one pick after their overtime loss to Miami, which that's a shame we didn't talk about that game. How the heck do you force overtime down by two scores? In the last 30-some seconds. Miami, you want to answer that one? I mean, yes, the Dolphins won an OT, but I'm still... I'm going back, and I had to check my phone. I was there at South Metro Sportsplex for hockey, and I'm just looking at it like, wait, OT? Weren't the Bengals down, like, 13 or something? They were. Like, well, how did that happen? But, yeah, Bengals picking first, and I think Joe Burrow is going to be in Cincinnati. Athens, Ohio native, well, around the Athens, Ohio area. One time, Ohio State Buckeye transferred out. 
and he's leading a very solid LSU team, what could be national champions, but Clemson's in the way. Who do I think will win the national championship? The Tigers. And that's all I'm going to talk about on here. As we move on to the next topic on the One Minute Dash, we move from the gridiron to the hockey rink. It's Cincinnati Cyclones time. We look at the standings in the ECHL, and Cincinnati still leads the Central Division by a five-point margin. 21-8-6, that's wins, losses, overtime losses for the Cyclones in 35 games. They're ahead of the Toledo Walleye by five points, who are 20-10-3. Fort Wayne in third place, 17-12-5. Wheeling, 16-14-4. Indianapolis and the Indy Fuel, 17-16-1. And Kalamazoo in sixth place in the Central, 12-17-3. This Cyclone squad... They have 518 minutes in the box, which is the third highest amount in the Central. The Cyclone squad, 107 goals scored, 87 allowed. And coming off a 4-0 shutout win at home against the Wheeling Nailers on Teddy Bear Toss Night, Andrew the Brincat had the game-winning goal, 752. In the first period. Hey, how about that goal horn? Hey, when we talk hockey in the one-minute dash, we have a goal horn. Because, you know, why not? Also, Cincinnati outshot Wheeling 50-21 to in that match. And actually, I was listening to bits and pieces of it when I was preparing for my broadcast. The Centerville was at Sycamore. We were at Rink USA. That's the rink that has the desk set up for broadcasting and the Ethernet court. The Canadian rink does not. And when we are at LaSalle, I hope somehow we get the U.S. rink again. But I don't think we will. By LaSalle, I mean the Cincinnati Lancers, because LaSalle doesn't have hockey anymore. They're part of the Swords organization, but there you go. Yeah, Cyclones, another good year, and I think this might be the year where they get over the hump in the playoffs. I mean, last year, losing to Toledo in the second round, you can't have that great of a regular season where you're just taking over the ECHL by storm and then just fizzle out like that. It's not the first round, sure, I'll give you that, but at least get to the at least get further than that. I was thinking Kelly Cup all the way for Cincinnati, but then it it just it didn't happen like that. So there you go. And now we talk high school hockey. We'll start off with the Capital Hockey Conference, Upper Arlington. They're having a strong, strong year in Columbus, undefeated, and currently nine and zero in conference play. Although I think these standings haven't been updated since. The previous weekend. Cincinnati Moeller, 7-1-1 and in the white division. They currently lead all. St. X fell from second to fourth place recently. The Bombers now 4-4 four and four in their first year in the cap. And Springboro, fifth place, 4-5 and five after their loss to Olentangy Berlin at home. In the blue division, it's Bishop Watson leading the way at 5-2, with Columbus Academy trailing 3-3-1, Gahanna Lincoln 3-6, Dublin Sayota 1-10, and St. Francis of Sales 0-7. Springboro has a big game this upcoming Friday. They will host Dublin Jerome and also Senior Night this Saturday against Olentangy. Olentangy currently in 8th place in the white division, Dublin Jerome 5th place in the red division. I'm just going to talk over the goal horn because, yeah... You know what I just realized about the dashes? I think I start the horns a little too early, so it's like 59.3 second dash. Oh, the inaccuracy. I can't stand it. 
Yeah, Dublin Jerome, I believe they graduated a lot of talent from their state title game team last year, but it's Dublin Jerome. They've been one of the strongest teams in the area for the past few seasons, so can't take this Celtic squad lightly, no matter what the conference record reads. I will also say thank you to uh, DJHS Hockey, that's Dublin Jerome Hockey, for sharing the broadcasting link on Friday. It'll be 9.30 if you'd like to join me there. For hockey, Springboro will take on Dublin Jerome. And this is going to be two good teams, and I think you'll have yourself a good old hockey time if you tune in. And we'll close up high school hockey with the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League. First up, the Red Division. Beaver Creek, seven games in. Six and one conference record. The one loss was to Talawanda. Alter in second place, four and three. Talawanda currently in third, but they've only played four conference games. Four and oh are the Brave, however. And Centerville is one and six after seven games. In the gold division, Sycamore leads that division, five and two. Followed up with Troy, two, five and one. Mason, one, two and one. Just four conference games for the Comets, too. And Elder, one and six after seven. And up this week, Centerville will take on Troy Sunday night, and that will be Troy's senior day. They will honor Captain Zach Eulenbrock and goalie Connor Bell. And I'm really looking forward to going to Hobart Arena. I missed my opportunity with the Miami Valley Freeze being sick and whispery. So definitely, as long as my limbs don't fall off, I'm going to be up there in Troy. Yeah, yeah, we hear you. Honk, honk. Goal scored. Yeah, we get it. Thank you. Anyway, um... I should mention that, yes, I'll be uploading... Uploading? I guess technically it's uploading. I'll be writing another piece for the Ohio Hockey Digest as soon as I get this podcast episode done. This is about hour number four of working on episode 130. There's been a lot of one-minute dashes, and it takes a while. And I'm still not to the topic I'm going to cover yet. It's uh, taken a long time. It's a very long episode, but I have a lot to cover as well. Again, Ohio Hockey Digest, I'll have another piece and I'll upload it on social media when it happens. So definitely check that out. And to close out hockey on this episode, we're talking Miami Redhawks hockey. 5-10-3 and three are the Redhawks, 2-5-1 and one in the NCHC. Winners of one in a row, 2-6-1 and one in Oxford, 3-4-2 outside. Last game for the Redhawks, a 4-2 win at number 11 Bowling Green. A huge win for the Redhawks, and also a huge win for head coach Bergeron. You know, he's a former Bowling Green Falcon himself. Action resumes this Friday for the Redhawks at 9.37 p.m. That's an awesome time to drop the puck, 9.37. You know, Dayton area code, although I think Oxford's 5-1-3. Never mind. Miami will be at Colorado College. Too bad that's not a home game. In Colorado Springs, Colorado... Two games there, back home in Oxford next weekend, Friday the 17th, Saturday the 18th against North Dakota, and then 24th, 25th of the month against Denver and the Pioneers. 7.05 start times for all but the first North Dakota game. The first Miami-North Dakota game drops the puck at 6.30, that Friday the 17th. Yeah, definitely, if you can get a chance to go out and see Goggin Ice Arena, I highly recommend it. And actually, I told a lie, this is the last hockey update. We look at the Tri-State Collegiate Hockey League. ACHA, not scholarship, but it's still hockey, and it's great. Miami leads all 9-1 after 10 games. Bowling Green 6-4, Ohio State 5-3, Ohio 4-3-1. That one being an overtime loss. 
Xavier four three and one two. Indiana three four and two. Those actually it's five and four with those wins. Thank you for that. Louisville two and seven. Dayton zero oh, and nine. I believe these are the same standings. The last time I covered the Tri-State, which look it up here. The first game back looks like it's this Friday. Miami will host Liberty. Louisville will host Texas A&M. Ohio is at Kentucky. 11.45 puck drop in Lexington. Florida Gulf Coast at Miami. On Saturday, time to be determined. Try to see if the Dayton Flyers are on here. There's a lot of Miami. There's Ohio at Ohio State next Friday. Indiana at Miami. And officially, that's the last update of hockey we have on the one-minute dashes. Tri-State Collegiate Hockey League, great league. I miss Wright State and I miss Cincinnati in that league, however. Although, if you think about the travel, what's the furthest point up north? Bowling Green, furthest west would be Bloomington, uh, east would be Athens, south would be Louisville, which is pretty awesome. That's a pretty nice league. And like I mentioned, no scholarships, so these players aren't getting paid for hockey. They might be getting athletic scholarships, or not athletic, academic scholarships, not athletic, but there you go. Still a lot of fun. I recommend catching a game if you can. And the Tri-State Collegiate Hockey League Tournament will be in 45 days, 3 hours, 55 minutes, and 0 seconds at this time of recording. So there you go. And we go back to warmer weather sports with baseball. The 2020 coaching staff was introduced to the Dayton Dragons. This is a press release from November 12, 2019. Gookie Dawkins is the 10th manager in Dragons history, replacing Luis Bolivar, who will stay in Cincinnati's organization with a new role. So Gookie Dawkins is your manager. Wapakoneta, Ohio native Brian Garman is the new pitching coach. He was a pitching coach in Los Angeles Angels system for the past two years with Orem last year in Inland Empire two years before that. Pitched with Wapakana and the Redskins, pitched with the Cincinnati Bearcats before being drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers in 2010. Hernan Baron will be the bench coach in 2020. Daryl Brinkley is the hitting coach in 2020. So brand new coaching staff. Everyone new for the 2020 Dragons. It'll be interesting to see how this new squad looks with this new coaching staff. <laughs> I would say a little bit sad because Luis Boulevard did mean a lot to Dayton and Dayton meant a lot to Luis Boulevard. He I believe he lives in the Vandalia area with his family. He recently became a United States citizen. I believe it was two seasons ago when the shootings happened in Dayton. Very, very classy. They brought nine white roses to home plate to mourn the loss that Dayton suffered. I mean... I, I know you can't base sports on stuff like that, but you know what? The guy was all class, so luckily he is Luis Bolivar staying in the Cincinnati organization. Mike Devereaux was not maintained by Cincinnati. Kevin Mahar and Steph Everton have also been reassigned. They'll stay with Cincinnati, but new assignments await them. Luis Bolivar also left Dayton, being a 2019 fan vote as the manager on the Dragons' all-time starting nine. Also one of the 20 greatest dragons in franchise history as well. So yeah, brand new coaching staff for the Dayton Dragons for 2020. And from Dragons to Reds, how about those new signings that Cincinnati's made? Wade Miley. I believe it's a two-year contract for the left-hander. He'll be part of that starting rotation, most likely. 
and also the latest signing on Japanese outfielder Shogo Akiyama, who becomes the first Japanese-born player in Cincinnati Reds history. Think about that. That's so strange that the Reds are the last team to have a Japanese-born player. I never would have guessed that. But three-year deal, $21 million. Salaries are $6 million this year, $7 million next year, $8 million in 2022. And we'll wear number four, well, Akiyama, as Jose Iglesias is now with the Baltimore Orioles. Which, eh, not too happy about that, but that's okay. Scouted Shogo for several years in anticipation of his free agency, said Dick Williams, the president of baseball ops. We like his approach at the plate, as well as his outfield defense, and we think he'll complement our team very well. That sounds like a really good outfielder signing. But the question I have is, how will his style of play come into the Cincinnati Reds? I mean, you still have Aristides Aquino, which, you know, there's some people that aren't sold on him. I mean, if he if he can play ball as strong as he started off with Cincinnati, I think he'll fit nicely with the Reds. If he cools off, if he stays cooled off, uh, you got Jesse Winker as well. Nick Senzel's being rumored, you know. Maybe as a trading piece to Lindor of the Indians. We mentioned that last one-minute dash, which I forgot all about. But yeah, Akiyama. Huge signing. I really like this signing. I think he'll do quite well. Also drew interest from the Chicago Cubs and the San Diego Padres, but he's a Cincinnati Red. So there you go. Oh, by the way, if you want to know his on-base percentage the last five seasons, Shogo Akiyama's, not mine, in the last five years in Japan, last year, 675 plate appearances, a 419 on base percentage. 671 the year before that, 385. 659, 398. 685, 403. 678, 392. And this is a tweet from Andrew Simon, MLB. Will be interesting to see how well that translates to Major League Baseball, which I mentioned, not sure. I'm not entirely sure what the difference is. But I know there's a different style between Asian baseball and American baseball. But I'm really looking forward to seeing him in Cincinnati. And I think he'll do quite well with the Reds. And now we talk about the new complex opening in West Carrollton. That's right, the volleyball complex with restaurants, bars, and everything. will open Monday. That's right, this upcoming Monday, the multi-million dollar volleyball complex will open with 230 teams registered already for play at the Miami Valley Sand Facility, 82,000-square-foot indoor-outdoor facility set to open the 13th, costing $4.3 million on the site on 6.6 acres at 200 West Central Avenue. Great location. It's right on the main way when you go towards Farmersville in that area and Miamisburg, too. But it's great that we have sports Still happening. Now, Grant, you're not going to see outdoor volleyball this time of year. If you do, then, you know, we have a warm winter, which we probably already have already. Uh, they still need to require licenses for the facilities opening, I believe. You know, your alcohol license and everything like that. The operation hours, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 11 p.m. Leagues beginning at 6.30. Weekend hours will vary. But like I mentioned, it's a new sports facility. It's open and it's using a space that was just sitting there abandoned as an old paper mill in West Carrollton. So we have ourselves a new spanking place to go play volleyball. 
Again, in case you're wondering about Miami Valley Sand, the indoor facility has 44,000 square feet, nine sand courts outside, a restaurant and a bar, heat, of course, that's important, fans, of course, that's important, and 20 large garage doors to regulate the airflow. Outdoor facilities have eight sand courts, showers, restrooms, a bar with food service, and a 36-foot wide deck. It's at the intersection of West Central and North Miami, again, like I mentioned, where a traffic light will be installed. Wait a minute, there's already a traffic light there. There's always been a traffic light there. That's where you turn off to go towards Farmersville in that area. Or you stay straight and go towards Miamisburg or West Carrollton, depending on what direction you're going. But, hey, we have ourselves a new volleyball place. So there you go. And I hope it succeeds quite strongly. Because, like I mentioned, we need more of that. And that will do it for part two of episode 130. Yes, we still have a little bit more to go. I'm sorry it's taking so long to get through, but... Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I need covered today. Part three, we'll talk a little girls wrestling. And also the 49th Holiday Wrestling Tournament held by the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association. And plus a rumor about Wright State. It's been talked about a little bit now. But we'll cover it. A couple more dashes and then wrestling here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. We'll be back after another break. Part 3 of episode 130 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. And we're wrestling towards the end. We're talking about wrestling and we're almost towards the end of the podcast episode. See how that works. Originally, I was just going to make the... Pioneer Classic Memorial, which is a girls wrestling tournament, a one-minute rush, a dash even. But I decided, no. There's one more dash, and it's Wright State to the Missouri League rumors. But we're going to keep this pure. We're talking wrestling. We got two great tournaments to talk about, including the 49th Holiday Wrestling Tournament held by the GMVWA. But we're going to start off first. This is from the Facebook page, Ohio Girls National Team. And this is from January the 4th. The Pioneer Classic Memorial at Olentangy Orange in Lewis Center, Ohio, home of the Pioneers. I know them more for hockey in the Capital Hockey Conference, but the Pioneers are one of the two Pioneers. See what I did there? Now, they're one of the two first girls wrestling teams. They compete in the first all-girls wrestling match a while back, and this is from WDTM. It was Miami East against Olentangy Orange. In case you're wondering, in Ohio, there's about 500 girls in wrestling, and that's up from about 250 last year. So it's growing. And Miami East made history by having the first girls' state championship match winner in Olivia Shore. Like I mentioned, I want to see girls wrestling grow. I want to see everyone get a shot to play sports, you know? I'm not talking everyone gets a participation trophy. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about equal opportunities to play sports. Because you know what? Once we start realizing as a society that men and women can do the same things, and together, when they work together, things get done better, I think we'll be on our way to a better society. But, you know, maybe not. I don't know. I'm just a guy that talks sports. For the Pioneer Classic, Miami East wins the whole kit and caboodle with 141 points, followed by Olentangy Orange at 125. From third on, Marysville, Lutheran West, I believe that's Cleveland, 
Columbus East, Lakota West, Bell Fountain, ties with Delaware Hayes and Greenview, Big Walnut, Hilliard Bradley, New Lexington, Olentangy Berlin, Ridgedale, Rossford, Parma, Beechcroft, Firestone, Columbus DeSales, which I believe that's St. Francis DeSales, Briggs and Westerville North, Alliance, Mentor, and Whitehall Yearling. And that's your rundown of the points. Your big notes. Big Walnuts, Alea Martin, named the most outstanding wrestler as the Eagles finished 10th with 41.5 points. But quite an amazing thing that's happening. And I think sooner than later, we will have girls wrestling actually as a official sport in the state of Ohio. There's a lot of pictures, a lot of proud parents on there sharing pictures. There's one of Sarah Root from Miami East, the champion of the 116 class. I I think it's outstanding, and I really want to see this grow. There's also another tournament that's going on the way. This is from... Ridgedale. I was going to say Rossford for a minute. Ridgedale High School is hosting an all-girls high school tournament this upcoming Saturday, and there's still spots available for teams and individuals. There's an information sheet attached on the post. This is Ohio Girls National Team on Facebook. Like the page, and it's one of the first posts there. You can reach out to Coach Whitman at swidman at ridgedaleschools.org for more info. There's an information sheet, and we'll pull it up. It's a nice little PDF. You can read it. And you can fill it out, and you can wrestle. Well, not you, but, you know, girls wrestles. Girls wrestlers can wrestle. Entry fee, $10 for wrestling, $50 max per team, payable to Ridgedale High School. It's a pool tournament. Weight classes with six or less will compete in round robins. Weight classes that may require two pools will wrestle as round robins and then pair up, placing for finals. Right now, the team's already in it. Bell Fountain, Brush, Columbus Academy, Delaware Hayes, Galleon, Greenview, Lutheran West, Mapleton, Marysville, Miami East, North Baltimore, Olentangy Orange, Ridgedale, Rossford, Sylvania, Southview. Again, they still have a few more spots available. I want this sport to succeed. I want all sports to succeed. Let's be real. But I really want to see girls wrestling become a sanctioned sport in Ohio. And I mentioned several schools, Greenview, Miami East, those are some of your local ones, Bell Fountain. I don't know if Rossford is, though. That might be be the whole, hey, this is Northwest Ohio. No, it's Southwest Ohio, because I say so, and it's in our viewing area. So, you know, take that. There's a lot of Columbus teams there, too. Like I said, things, you know, I want this to happen. So if you're interested in it, again, Ohio Girls National Team, on Facebook. Get in there and help grow this sport. I think it's going to be phenomenal. And now we talk about the 49th Holiday Wrestling Tournament at Vandalia Butler High School by the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association. I love this tournament. The history, the wrestlers, everyone honored. In fact, yours truly got to announce his old high school gym coach He's the Bill Miller, the wrestling coach at Valley View. He's my gym coach for freshman year, maybe sophomore year. I don't remember. But lots of great wrestling. My voice died when it was time for the championships, which I 
I'm super disappointed in myself. Yes, I know, I can't help getting sick, and really, there was nothing I could really do to prevent getting sick. But it broke my heart. It's like the second time that I've done this tournament, and I've just... I haven't been 100%, and my voice just... It, it was tough to talk. And, like I mentioned, I couldn't go to the hockey games the next day just because I... I whispering hurt. And it just... It broke my heart. But being part of this organization, announcing the tournament, it's it means the world to me. And we saw 49 teams come in, and we had ourselves some great wrestling. Allow me to tell you who finished in what. We'll start off with 5th place finishers in the 106 class. Oak Hills, Brandon Mitchell defeats Vandalia Butler's Noah Moreland. Thomas Eder of Delaware Hayes in the 113 defeats Alex Camacho of St. John's Jesuit in Toledo. Jaden Sturgill of Benjamin Logan defeats Landon Medals of Simon Kenton, that's Kentucky, in the 120. 126, Bo Branson of Pickerington Central takes fifth place against Gus Roberts of Great Crossing, which I didn't realize until I was at the tournament. Great Crossing is a first-year high school in Scott County, Kentucky. That's around the Georgetown area, which is really cool. I was like, I've never heard of Great Crossing, and I wanted to be the jerk that's like, hey, is there a good crossing or not-so-great crossing? But I didn't ask that because, again, I don't want people to think I'm a jerk. Ethan Cooper of Legacy Christian, that's Xenia, in Xenia, not Xenia, that's Legacy Christian, like I mentioned. Ethan Cooper wins fifth place in the 132s against Charlie McCune of More Traditional in Louisville, Kentucky. McLean Morency of Anderson defeats Carson Bay of Versailles to take fifth in 138. Tristan Spalding of Walton Verona, again, another Kentucky school, 145, fifth place finisher against Graham Carson of Miami Trace. Joel Abbott of Benjamin Logan takes fifth against Marcus Zulo of Pickerington Central in the 152s. 160, it's Carlos Quintero of Troy taking fifth over Kyle Bay of Versailles. The 170 fifth place finisher is Nathan Wright of more traditional via pin against Jaden LeBeau of Miami Trace. Alec Hall Tecumseh defeats Trevor Stewart of Urbana for the 182 fifth place finish. In the 195, Luke Williams of Brookville takes down Bryce Bennett of Miami Trace via pin. Casey Rauch of Campbell County defeats Wade Humphrey of Springboro for 220. And Taryn Tayo of Versailles takes fifth against Brookville's John Mitchell in the 285s. 14 weight classes, and now we move to third place from 106 onwards. Colin Mellett of Wapakoneta defeats J.T. Furco of St. John's Jesuit for third. Joseph Sander of Ryle defeats Miami Trace's Weston Melvin. Bodie Campbell of Legacy Christian defeats Jordan Zygo of Trotwood Madison. Cameron LeCure of Legacy Christian defeats Kale Vanderhorst of Covington for the 126. 132 has Tecumseh's Lucas Rogers defeating Colin Lovett of Miamisburg. Mason Kleinberg of Springboro pins Nathan Cato of River Valley for the 138 third place finish. Kyle Wells of Tecumseh takes third in the 145 against Nick Alvarez of Legacy Christian. Noah Ratliff of Reynoldsburg falls to Mikhail Callahan of Miami Trace for the 152 third place finish. Justin Love of Butler defeats Richter Morgan of Simon Kenton via pin in the 160 for third. 170, Wyatt Ferguson of Oak Hills defeats Till Boisel of Benjamin Logan. A pin for Brandon Gibson of Walton Verona as he takes down Chase Dyer of Brookville in the 182. 195 is Clay Hours of Delaware Hayes defeating Isaac Grilliot of Versailles. Evan Kayette of Wapakoneta defeats Nathan Robinson of Delaware Hayes in the 220, and the 285 has Grant DeBruin of Miami Trace defeating Cameron Roos 
of Benjamin Logan. And now your first place finishers. 106, it's Spencer Moore of Walton Verona taking down Logan Atasano of Legacy Christian. Nolan Gessler of Graham takes down Matt Ellis of Legacy Christian in the 113. The 120 is Cole Thomas of Ryle defeating Kellen Anderson of Covington. Nick Hart of Graham wins the 126 title against Connor Kleinberg of Springboro. It's Logan Hoskins of Vandalia Butler taking down Chris Kelly of Graham for the 132 title. 138 is Gavin Brown of Legacy Christian knocking out Nick Moore of Graham. Peyton Lane of National Trail, the lone Preble County native on this list. He defeats Alec Martin of Graham for the 145 title. Andrew Nick of Northmont in the 152 defeats Trace Braun of Graham. Emma Kane of Delaware Hayes defeats Camden McDaniel of Graham for the 160 title. The 170 title goes to Delaware Hayes' Corbin May over Will Kofeld of Springboro. Mason Sutander of Delaware Hayes defeats Noah Duke for the 182 title. 195 is Springboro's Jacob Kowalski of Springboro, knocking out Dalton Mayer of Walton Verona. You have Nolan Neves of Graham winning the 220 over Jay Thompson of Worthington Kilbourne. And for the 285 title, it's Seth France of Northmont taking down Trip Johnson of Springboro. And that's your fifth, third, and first place finishers all in the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association Tournament. We saw close to a 1,000 bouts on those six mats at the Student Activity Center. We also had a couple highlights as well. I tried to keep up with that over the weekend. The coaches came over to the table and tell me. Had four wrestlers, at least four wrestlers, win their 100 bout. First up, it was Senior's Desmond Diggs. You have Mikhail Callahan of Miami Trace. Colin Lovett of Miamisburg and Corbin May of Delaware Hayes all winning their 100th career bout with their respected schools, which is really, really cool to think about. You just think about how you know, wrestling goes on and how many bouts you really battle in a season. It, it's a lot, and this is a physical sport. I mean, you need every little bit of physicality you have. Being able to win 100, I mean, just some of these records you see on these wrestlers, it's just, wow. It's it's quite impressive, and I love being part of the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association's holiday tournament. I think I think it's just an outstanding, an outstanding tournament. And hopefully, with me losing my voice in the championships, that doesn't get me kicked out for that. I don't think it will, but you know, it, it, like I said, it broke my heart. I was like, I can't announce when it really matters, when we're talking championships, and I'm sounding super hoarse, and it's taken everything out of me just to talk. And I apologize. I mean, I really, really apologize for not being able to do that, and I really, really hope that I can come back next year. Not only will it be my fifth tournament that I get to announce, but it'll be the 50th Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association Holiday Tournament I get to announce. A lot of fun this year. It's always a lot of fun. And like I mentioned, there's a lot of great wrestling. Pulling up the points right now. We'll go to 2019 results. Graham wins another GMVWA Holiday Wrestling Tournament with 227 points to lead the small schools and the big schools. And Springboro finishes first in the big school division with 198.5 points. Small schools look like this. Graham, 227. Legacy Christian, 169. I tell you, Legacy Christian has a heck of a program. And in fact, also got to 
honor their head coach as well, who's been in wrestling for a good long time. We honored, what was it, eight or nine folks. I mentioned Bill Miller of Valley View. I got to announce him. Didn't recognize who I was, which, you know, that's all right. But still, pretty cool that I got to introduce my old high school gym teacher to the masses. Again, small schools, Graham. Legacy Christian, Miami Trace, 133.5. Benjamin Logan, 104. Versailles, 103. Brookville and Walton Verona finished 6 with 92 points. Covington, 84. Wapakoneta, 65.5. Worthington Kilbore, 57.5. Wilmington, 55.5. River Valley, 55. National Trail, 43 points. Eaton, 36.5. Kenton Ridge, 34.5. Urbana, 32. Carlisle and Trotwood Madison finished 29 points. It's weird to say Trotwood Madison is a small school, but. There you go. Milton Union, 19 points. Bellbrook, 18 points. Purple Shawnee, 15 points. Meadowdale, 3 points. Greenview, 2 points. Big schools read like this. Springboro, 198.5 points. Delaware Hayes, 2nd, 173. Ryle, 132. Butler, Vandalia Butler, 116.5. Northmont, 99 points. Simon Kenton, 85. Tecumseh, 81.5. Campbell County, 77. Oak Hill, 65.5. West Claremont, 64. St. John's Jesuit, 63.5 points. More traditional, 53. Pickerington Central, 42. Reynoldsburg and West Carrollton tie for 14th in the big schools, 40 points. Hilliard-Bradley, 35. Anderson, 34.5. Miamisburg, 28. Troy, 24. Big Walnut, 23. Great Crossing, 22. Xenia, 18.5. Chillicothe, 9. Springfield, 8. Princeton and Scott tie for zero points because both those schools were late to the skin checks and therefore could not wrestle, which was a shame, actually. And all the results you can find at bombspage.com. Like I mentioned, I mentioned the first, third, and fifth place. There's also seventh place in Consolations in here as well. Close to a thousand matches. Can you believe how much wrestling that is? Yes, you can because it's a lot. Had ourselves a very busy Friday. We got to semifinals Saturday, and then that's when my voice started to crack. Do want to thank the folks that made the shirts this year. It wasn't do shirts this year. I think it was 1865 Creative. It's a very nice shirt. It's one of those silky type of shirts that are becoming popular nowadays, and it's awesome. I'm wearing it right now. It's it's a very very comfortable shirt. But want to thank them for that, and also match my gold polo that I had on because I always wear Wright State the first day just because Wright State used to have wrestling back in the day as did University of Dayton. In fact, I want to go back because I want to say the Legacy Christian head coach, Tim Begley, was the last coach. Actually, no. He wrestled and coached at Wright State University, so that is not the gentleman I'm thinking of. But now part of the GMVWA Hall of Fame inductee this year. Like I mentioned, graduated Wright State, wrestled at Wright State, coached at Wright State. Wright State had themselves a really good wrestling program, and I really hope that wrestling makes the rounds again collegiately. I mean, Wright State had a program, Dayton had a program, Wright State's ended after 1992, Dayton's after 1995. Really, outside, you know, non-Division One schools, the closest one is Ohio State, and I think Cleveland State might still have theirs. But that's it. Miami doesn't have one. I don't think Cincinnati or Xavier do. And just, I, I, I never understood it. I mean, of course, it costs money. I mean, mats aren't cheap, and you have to replace them eventually. And the chemical to kill all the germs and blood off, you know, that that's probably not cheap. But where is wrestling gone collegially? And why, how can we get that back? I, I, want, I want collegiate wrestling to be a thing again around here in Dayton, Ohio. 
I'm looking on here. We also honored Jerry Glowick. We also Bill Miller, who also coached the last Bowling Green State University team. I actually wrestled for, I should say. I beg your pardon. Bill Miller was the one to coach the last University of Dayton squad back in 94-95. I didn't think it was Bill Miller. I thought it was another gentleman. But, yeah, we honored Mike Sizemore from Eaton, where he lettered in football, wrestling, and track. Phil Plummer, who wrestled as a freshman for CJ. Back in the day, Kevin Pyers, a coach for Miami East. Like I mentioned, Miami East doing big things, not only in boys wrestling, but girls wrestling, too. Uh, Jerry Glowick, like I mentioned. D. Scott Myers, who was an official. It was really nice. It's nice to honor these folks as I'm reading through the program I get. And I, I really hope that I'll be back next year for the 50th GMVWA Holiday Tournament. I have such a blast doing it. It's a lot of fun. You see such great wrestling and it's it's a blast. It's one of my favorite events in the winter. So that covers the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association Holiday Tournament. Hope to be back for December. Don't know when it will be quite yet. Because remember, Christmas this year ends on a Friday. Most holidays are on a Friday this year. Halloween's on a Saturday. Hmm. Just it's 2020 is going to be, I think it's going to be a good year. And this podcast is going to be well over one hour, but that's okay. I've gotten used to that point by now. And it's, it's time for one final one-minute dash of the episode. The source of my information is coming from the article Down in the Valley, Wright State Musings from Todd Aaron Golden of the Tribune Star in Terre Haute, Indiana. The visit to Wright State gave him a chance to visit a school that's been brought up for a possible Missouri Valley expansion candidate. The first impression? Missouri Valley could do a lot worse. The Nutter Center is absolutely a Missouri Valley-worthy building, far more when Valparaiso and Loyola entered from the Horizon League. If we look at RealTimeRPI.com, currently Missouri Valley is 11th best in terms of conferences, whereas the Horizon League, 23rd of 32. So yes, tougher foes would await Missouri Valley. And I think Wright State would be quite competitive. They got the they got the facilities to showcase in Missouri Valley. And yes, before you mention it, travel, well Travel will be signaled by a horn. No, that's a minute and I still didn't get through everything in my third take. Before you mention travel as being a big reason why you shouldn't go in the Missouri Valley, Think about this. There is a sweeter media deal in the Missouri Valley compared to the Horizon League. And looking at the Missouri Valley right now, I mean, your top school by RBI is Northern Iowa at 24. Indiana State's got 64. Then you get in the 100s, Drake, Valparaiso, Bradley, Loyola. And that's Loyola, Chicago, by the way. Evansville, Missouri State, Illinois State, and then Southern Illinois, which surprises me because Southern Illinois normally is pretty darn good in basketball, but currently 6-8, and eight, which is quite surprising. Whereas we look back at the Horizon League, click that little link here, not you, me, Wright State is 144th, which, yeah, that would be towards the middle of the Missouri Valley pack, but currently leading the Horizon League by a pretty nice margin. 
over Green Bay, 168, Northern Kentucky, 172, 194, Youngstown State, Milwaukee, Oakland, Cleveland State, Detroit Mercy, IUPUI, and 311th out of, what was it, 350-some teams, UIC, which is incorrectly listed as Ill Chicago. UIC doesn't like being called Illinois Chicago, even though everyone does it. I mean, think about it. I mean, UIC's been going by UIC for how many years now? But yet, you know, when SMU, TCU, UCF, USF, want to call that, they normally don't. Uh, it's, that's not important. I mean, it is if you're a UIC Flames fan, but you get what I'm saying. I think Wright State would do quite well in the Missouri Valley Conference. I mean, if you think about it, the facilities that Wright State have are quite stunning. I mean, Wright State's got the main sports, of course, basketball being the main one. Although, you can mention that football's not in there, but there's a separate Missouri Valley for that. And, you know, I don't think most of those schools have football in the Missouri Valley. But you get what I'm saying. I think that Wright State could fit in Missouri Valley. Now, is there an opportunity to bring in another team? I mean, if you just have Wright State, then it throws off the balance in the Valley. I think if Wright State goes, they might try to get Northern Kentucky in. I still think that's a great rivalry, and I, you know, I love seeing the smart replies between Wright State and Northern Kentucky, not, good morning to everyone but Wright State fans, ha 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 ha, you know, because that hasn't been done over and over, although I guess it's more original than Wright State wrong school, but, you know, there's that as well. Mentioning back to the article, you have noticed the Fairborn dateline on Aaron's stories. That's because Wright State is in a Dayton suburb, astride the large Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, northeast of Dayton proper. Not sure what effect that has on the Wright State fan base, but it can't hurt. In terms of competitiveness, Wright State has won 20 or more games seven times in the decade. Only had losing records in the Horizon League twice since 2007, and Scott Nagy is a well-respected coach. I mean... Look how long he was at, what was it, South Dakota State? 21 years? Yeah, that was a pretty darn good team. They say that Wright State's not the best option. They still think Murray State is the best option for the 11th slot in the MVC. But slot number 12, I mean, if you want to add Wright State, I mean, I know Murray State and Wright State are a little further apart, but hey, that's two good schools you're adding right there. Or, like he mentions, Northern Kentucky and Wright State, that would be 11-12 and 12 if Murray State still didn't want to jump ship. Again, none of those scenarios are likely present at the moment, but it's still neat to talk about. It's talked about on the message board. If I can get off this message, I thought it was something important. It's not. But, it's something to think about. I mean, can Wright State Battle in the MVC? I think so. I mean, one of the nice things is, too, the conference tournament is in St. Louis, which, yeah, that's a couple hours away from Wright State, sure. But that's still a big spot, and that's that's huge. That brings in money for St. Louis. Again, it's something that Wright State fans can think about. But right now, it's time to think about the Horizon League. Wright State, both men's and women's, have a solid shot to win both regular season titles, and possibly the conference championship as well. Remember, this year it moves from Detroit to Indianapolis. 
and I don't believe all teams get a chance to go to Indianapolis. Four men, four women do, and that's it. I think Wright State's got a very solid chance, but it's about taking care of business. People say the Wright State's going to run through the league, but take care of business, and that takes care of itself. And then we get to baseball and softball season, which should be very exciting as well. Hard to believe that next month, next month and seven days, so a month and a week, we'll start the 2020 college baseball season. We'll talk about that closer to time, but hey, it's nice to think about, meaning it'll be warmer and we won't have to deal with cold, but we really haven't had a lot of cold to deal with. And then we get like 12 feet of snow the next weekend. Because, of course, that's Martin Luther King weekend, and that's when Centerville Elks host their big hockey tournament, flying to the hoop, of course. My good friend Michael Hearn broadcasts those games. He's a good guy. And also look forward to the next Around the Hearn episode. That's Michael Hearn's podcast. I happen to be a special guest in it. We talk a little bit. I think it's a very, very strong podcast. So definitely Around the Hearn coming up. I'll share it on social media when the time comes. And that will finally conclude episode 130. Those one-minute dashes turn out to be like a five-mile hike. But we had a lot of stuff to cover, and I finally feel like I got everything caught up. So next week, we'll talk about things that have happened recently. And hopefully, you'll be alongside for another episode of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. This is Lee W. Mallon signing off. Thanks for sticking put this whole episode. And here's to the start of the 2020s. Here's to the start of a very successful year for everyone involved. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the slash podcast. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app then search for the local Sunday Sports Group to submit your future Mowans mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowan, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.